0: Welcome to another episode of Rad Talk with Tracy. I'm your host, Tracy Poffinroth Prado. This podcast is all about reactive attachment disorder, or RAD. I'm gonna be talking with parents who will be sharing their experiences of what it's like raising a child with RAD. It gets raw and it gets real. I'm also going to be talking with experts from different areas who will be sharing information about RAD, resources, and support. I'm glad you're here. Let's get started. Karen Poitra is a therapeutic respite provider and parent coach who is dedicated to helping children and their families heal from the devastating effects of reactive attachment disorder. She's been working with kids with RAD and their families since 2012, and she's also volunteered at more than 16 camps and worked with over 250 kids and their families. Karen has made it her life's mission to help children and families heal from childhood trauma, educate more families and professionals about reactive attachment disorder, and to help stop the cycle of early childhood trauma. Karen is the founder, president, and on-site director of the Radish Ranch. She lives in the teeny tiny town of Mariapolis, Manitoba in Canada, and runs all of the on-site and online programs for the Radish Ranch. Karen, it's great to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Oh, thank you for inviting me. I'm very excited to be here. I think
0: I'm more excited. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really excited to learn more about the Radish Ranch and what you do and uh, to share that with everybody. So can you talk about how you got started in the world of reactive attachment disorder? It's not every day that people Mm -hmm. are involved in this world. How did you get started? Um,
1: I was, I taught in our, I go to a Mennonite church and we have our own private schools. And so I was a teacher before I got into all the rad stuff. And looking back, a couple of my students definitely had rad. Really? But I realized the more I taught, it was those kids with the behavior issues or with that kind of, that you could feel a disconnect from them. They were my favorite kids to teach because I felt like there was something to work with. We could make progress. So I was already kind of drawn into, you know, the kids that were labeled as bad kids or misbehaving kids. Right. You like the challenge. Exactly. Yeah. And then I met some friends of mine. Their oldest son was six and he'd been adopted from foster care, had had horrible abuse and neglect um, before they got him. And then all the court battles in the back and forth to birth parents and eventually they adopted him um i think when he was you know about three so he, they'd had him for quite a while before i met
0: them okay
1: and he was the most awful child i had ever met at that point you know <laughs> wow. every rad behavior he had it to the extreme their house had holes in the walls all over the place everything was broken the couch was slashed up you know paint on the walls crayon on the walls he would rip up his school books when he got home his clothes were always in shred he'd rip his shoes apart and remind he'd me scream. how old? he how was six at this point six okay i just like yeah. that out it's so young. yeah 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 exactly he would scream for hours and hours you know just the defiance that you get um picking on his siblings that kind of stuff and i would watch him and you know, you're like this kid is crazy like what's going on um, and they had two other biological children at that point who were younger. Okay. And their, their biological kids who were healthy, were totally normal. So you look at and I was like, it's not a parenting issue. Otherwise, yeah. all their kids would be completely crazy, right? Right.
0: And good for you for recognizing that.
1: Yeah, they were just, if you take him out of the picture, they were this totally normal family. Um, so I started to spend a lot of time with them and they were looking for you know they got the adhd diagnosis oppositional defiance um fas they had dyslexia like all of these things and so they would spend so much money and time on these programs and resources and nothing helped and all he did was get worse and their family was falling apart the parents were so stressed out they couldn't parent their other kids and everything was pretty much at a breaking point. Um, And then they just searching online, they were able to find um, Nancy Thomas and her therapeutic parenting methods. And they were able to take their family to an attachment camp in Florida. And they got home from that and the child still acted the same, you know, a week at camp isn't going to fix anybody, but the parents came back and they were relaxed they felt empowered. They knew how to control behaviors and their entire family changed. Wow. And so I was watching them. I was like, "That, like something obviously works. Like this is a method that makes sense. And, you know, it then I started not
0: noticeable.
1: Yeah. I started, you know, learning more about reactive attachment disorder and um, trauma and all of that stuff. And then I think it was two years later after they'd been to camp, um, they were going back to volunteer And they asked if I wanted to go with them. I was like, oh, sure. I'll go to Florida in March anytime. (laughs) Right. And I kind of went, you know, I'd watched their family, but I didn't really know what I was getting into. So I spent a week at camp learning the strategies and about trauma and therapeutic parenting and all of that stuff. And it made so much sense to me. And then I started connecting like, oh, yeah, these kids that I used to teach, this is what they had. This is why they acted that way. So it kind of just snowballed from there. I spent the next two years going to camps and working with a couple of therapists that I had met and, you know, doing all of the online courses and reading every book I could find. Yes, yes. Yeah,
0: and then and 2014, I started uh, doing it full-time. Wow, and so what are yeah. these camps, these attachment camps? Is there a name for them or is it, what What are they? They're sort of right now transitioning Um,
1: from one director to another so I think the name might change Uh, but they're Healing Hearts Family Bonding Camps done by Nancy Thomas through um, Families by Design. Um, She used to do about five or six a year and right now she's retiring so it's you know everything's being switched around and so no one knows anymore how camps are (laughs) going to go. Right
0: okay well at least there's a name out there people can google and yes exactly yeah so wow you learned you learned a lot Mm -hmm. and so you started doing the camps
1: yeah yeah that's how i got started and you know it was very hands-on you're there you work with the behaviors you learn the the brain healing processes that we use you learn how to help parents so just being there with them you know a lot of times we just want to give them a whole ton of advice and they They just want someone to understand what they're going through and understand that they're being the best parent they can be. Right. And then at the camps, you have professionals. The directors are there. There's therapists on the team. So you get to learn in this really great environment, all about trauma and therapeutic parenting.
0: Right. And it's a week long. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. They're really great. Just the parents go, not the kids. The whole family. The whole family. Yeah. So parents,
1: the kids with red and the healthy siblings. And it's kind of, it's an approach that encompasses the entire family. Right. Cause that's really what it's about. Yeah. Right. The parents end up with secondary PTSD and the siblings are traumatized and you have to fix everything. You really Kind of all together. Yeah.
0: That must be hard or interesting. You get parents at the beginning and families coming to you exactly like how you're saying. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got trauma. The whole family, yeah. the secondary PTSD. Uh, what's it like to watch that week evolve from when the families first get there and when they leave? What do you, what did you see or what do you see during that time?
1: Oh, it's so interesting. Um, the families pull up. We always start Sunday afternoon is the first day of camp Okay, um, and they get out of the, the vehicle pulls up. The doors all fly open. There's kids everywhere screaming, you know sucking up the people being all superficially charming and the parents walk in, just like dragging along. They look exhausted. They're usually really short tempered with us as staff because they've just spent however long traveling with their kids. Right. Um, So the first couple of days, you know, we as the staff take most of the responsibility for the kids' behavior. So if they have a negative behavior, we take care of it and give the parents a break And those couple of days, you can see the tension in their shoulders. You know, they have their shoulders up around their ears and it just eases out and they start smiling again Uh because you don't see parents smile those first couple of days. They're just exhausted. I bet. Um, And by the end of the week, you're, they're human again. You know, the parents have a sense of humor. They're smiling. They look relaxed. They feel empowered to go home and help their kids. Yeah.
0: It's an amazing difference. Oh my God. So rewarding. What? Yeah. That must be incredible just to witness that and to know that you're helping so much. Yeah. Do families repeat the camp? You know, do they come back again or is it a one-time deal and then they go home and, and use what they learned and implement that in the family?
1: Yeah. A lot of the times I've worked with families who have gone to camp two, sometimes even three times, Right, And, you know, as their child progresses through healing, they realize like, oh, maybe I need to go back and, you know, tune in more to the parts of what you do next. Right. Or they have a new child in the family and they'll come again. And sometimes we have kids who have been through camp once and they heal and they get healthy and they get to come back and earn what we call their blue bandana. So when our kids come to camp, the kids with red wear red bandanas. So we can see if, you know, a child's running around camp, we know if they're a healthy child or they have reactive attachment disorder. Right. Um, So once they're healthy, we get to do this really cool ceremony where they earn their blue bandana and, you know, get a t-shirt and we get to praise them and, you know, they get to share their healing story with everybody.
0: That's amazing. And you have a big belief that kids with reactive attachment disorder can heal. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I've met so many
1: um teenagers who have either I've met them through camp or other people I've worked with and I've met some you know 18 19 year olds and I'll be talking with them and they are the sweetest most kind compassionate empathetic people and then they're telling me about how they used to act before they got healed
0: and it's polar opposites yeah so it's definitely possible yeah and what do you think it is I know we're getting a little off track but I'm always curious, and I know other parents, a big question is, is it possible for my child to heal? What, what would you say is the, what creates that healing? I'm sure it's not just one thing, but just your opinion and, and your experience and what you've seen, what, what things create that change? Who are the kids that do make that change and heal?
1: It's hard to say because for every child and then every family, it's so different, you know, depending on what kind of trauma the child went through and for how long and how their family's been able to cope with it and whether they have a therapist and whether they have a respite provider. Um, So there's a lot of pieces that go into it. And unfortunately, a lot of our families just don't have the resources they need. But I'd say for the kids that I know who have been able to go down that healing path and make a complete change in their lives, Um, it's been the consistency that their parents have had with their healing. So no matter what happened or what came up, they were able to use what they needed to do, you know, whether it was psychiatry placements, um, residential treatment, therapy, they were able to be consistent with that, knowing that their goal was to get their child healthy.
0: Right, right what would you say talking about this is the perfect recipe again i know that resources are short and yeah. difficult to get or <laughs> sparse is a better word yes so let's pretend a little bit in an ideal world again from your experience if if a parent could set themselves and for their success and their child's success who has rad Mm -hmm. what would your ideal, you know, you're talking about um, a psychiatrist, psychologist, you're talking about respite. What would be the perfect plan if you were to sit with a parent and in a, you know, dream world, let's say Mm -hmm. (laughs) right now it's a dream world. Yes. Um, (laughs) What, what would be all the ideal things that in a perfect world, if a family had, what would you say those would be?
1: Yeah, I,
0: It needs to start before
1: the child comes into their home. So one of my big things is that foster care agencies and adoption agencies need to prepare parents, not say your child might have attachment disorder, not say this could happen, but it's rare, but tell parents you have a child with severe trauma and loss coming into your home. You need to have safety measures in place. You need to have respite providers in place. You need to have a therapist. And, you know, ideally, they would provide those resources for our families. Right. And then, you know, that's not something anyone has a lot of control over. No. Um, so when I'm, yeah, when I'm talking to families, I tell them get a respite provider. Um, and I like to have families get a break once a week, even if it's just an afternoon or a morning or an evening or something so they can go out. But that break that they can look forward to and then once a month have the child out of the home overnight so parents can sleep in there's healthy kids they can kind of have like a more relaxed you know chill sport of day and that's hard to convince parents of because a lot of the time with our adopted kids parents feel like it's their responsibility they're the ones who adopted this child they need to take care of them and then they also think no one else should have to deal with their child's Wacky yeah. behaviors. Yeah. I
0: agree. And I'm a rad mom and I agree. Yeah. 100% <laughs> Because um, it is really hard to convince people to get out of that. It's almost a cycle of mm-hmm. control, and that that yeah. responsibility sends you down a rabbit hole. Yeah, um, I don't think you even know what's happening, but you're trying to control your emotions, you're trying to mm-hmm. control your kids and everything that's happening in the family, and then you're trying to control getting your kid better, all the things that you can look for and uh, taking care of yourself and stepping away from that and letting go of that control or letting go of the expectations on Mm -hmm. yourself. Yeah, I would agree 100%. That's a tough one. And yeah, system, but good start. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And then I always tell them therapy,
1: the child needs to be in therapy with a trauma and attachment therapist, not just trauma, not just attachment, because those both leave out necessary parts, right finding one that actually works with kids with rad is ideal but hard to find yeah yeah um and then therapy for the parents whether they're in couples counseling or just individual therapy or they have a life coach it's so important that they have a place where they can go and be validated and heard and you know because our parents end up with depression and anxiety and secondary ptsd they often have their own childhood trauma Um, so to be able to work through that in a safe place can really
0: help families to be able to stay together. Right. Right. So changing the system, making that time for yourself to have some respite Mm -hmm. and for your, an overnight and getting some therapy and coaching. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good. Good. And because, you know, even if those things aren't available, I think just hearing that that's a good plan you know, Mm. that's something that maybe we can all strive for and seek out if we know the essentials that are going to help us and our family. Right. So thanks. Thanks for sharing all that. Yeah. Yeah. So you did what? 16 camps? I think
1: I've done 18, but I always lose track. So I just (laughs) say about 16. Gotcha.
0: (laughs) Give or take, give or take. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so you've worked with kids and families. So tell me a little bit about where you went from there. So you started doing these camps. You Mm -hmm. attended one just to see what it was like. And then you helped run them and work with the kids and families. Uh, What's what came next? Um, I started doing respite care with uh,
1: Nancy Thomas. She does. um, Can't think of the word therapeutic parenting there you go (laughs) that's how tired my brain is today (laughs) right um and we we worked together so we would both go to a family's home and stay with them for about a week and I would do the kid part so I would watch the kids do respite care work them through their chores and their daily schedules homework all of that kind of stuff and Nancy would coach the parents um And then, you know, we'd work together to help the parents, you know, put all those pieces together. So doing that was really great because I could be in the family's home to see, you know, this is what it's actually like. Because when you're at camp, it's a different environment. There's the schedule
0: is, you know, somewhat of a schedule, but nobody lives like that at home right it's not the natural home environment that's really great that you got to yeah yeah so it was
1: really great to see families because they would tell me stuff at camp you know this works here but what do I do at home exactly I would be like I I don't know I don't know what your home life is like so being able to go into families homes and see like okay this is what you're actually dealing with this is the situation this is how your house is set up this is how many kids you have, and what activities they have, and what your neighbors are like, you know, sometimes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 And then there's, um, I would meet therapists at camp or through my families, and I'd get to work with them. So, you know, join in therapy sessions, do respite for them during therapy intensives. Wow. Incredible,
0: yeah. incredible experience that you've gained. Yeah, you've been really yeah, fortunate been great. to be yes connected with all these people and see and learn from them. That's incredible. Yeah, the radish branch. How did that start? What is it? What's yeah? What's it all about?
1: It started because I couldn't find what I wanted. <laughs> That's... So I was doing these camps and you know, we, we generally there's Nancy Thomas who runs them. And then we usually have a camp coordinator more, you know, closer to the actual location we host them at. And so we usually do them at like Bible camp type places. Right. So you have to rent the campground. Then you have to have a dozen or so families to be able to be cost effective to actually pay for everything. And it was a lot of stress. And I was trying to host a couple here in Canada and because of our weather and school schedules, nothing ever worked. And I was like, you know, ideally camp shouldn't be a dozen families where your resources are stretched thin. It should be four or five. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't find a place. So I was like, well, we just need to, we just need to make our own. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. So, and then COVID happened and that's all plans have all gone out the window for now. Right. But yeah. yeah, ideally it was that we'd have our own place where. You know, we could host those camps a couple families at a time. And then also um, do an extension of what I do now, which is have families come to my home. So I wanted to be able to have the entire family come because sometimes going into their home, helps you see, you know, exactly what's going on. Right. But it also means our parents are still trying to do their everyday lives on top of learning everything.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: sometimes our kids just feel like that environment has been a failure for them and they can't succeed there. So taking them out of that to learn can often boost their healing. So I wanted to be able to have a place, you know, where families could come, the kids could stay um, with me and respite care, you know, overnight, so the parents can get a break. And, you know, we'd be able to bring in a therapist if we needed one. We'd be able to bring in the family support system. So, extended family, friends, their local
0: respite provider. So, we could kind of train everybody all together. Right. And I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask if you include extended family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As much as possible. Right. Yeah. Right. It's hard sometimes because.
1: You know, especially when we get grandparents, those grandparents think I didn't raise my kids like this or use these weird parentings and my kids turned out fine. Yeah. And they see this superficially engaging and charming little child and it causes so much family tension. So as much as possible, we try to, you know, get the grandparents and anyone else on board as much as you can.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then you're raising a good point because parenting rad kids is very different and it mm-hmm. looks different to family members. And when I talk with other families, that's a big thing that we share or talk about. So how would you describe, what does it look like? What does a rad parent look like rather than normal parenting? So if there's anybody out there listening, they can start understanding the the difference and why, why we're parenting that way. Mm-hmm. I think
1: our parents people see them whether out in public or if it's your own family member or a friend they look like very mean parents yes and it's that they're so worried and anxious and there's so much stress and chaos in their lives and they feel like they failed like they aren't good parents they obviously haven't been able to help this child and it comes off as really angry You know and they're just frustrated this child doesn't love them and completely you know wrecks their home right um so i think that's kind of the first thing people see rather than seeing this is you know a problem the child brought they're like these parents are the problem they must be really
0: awful right mean and strict and rigid yeah yeah that's the first impression people get And I can see that, you know, not yep. knowing that's that's exactly what it does look like, but it's just exactly. not, not understanding the why. Right. Yeah. And I always tell people, if you see parents like that, it's because
1: you haven't done enough to help them. You know, if they're criticizing a family, I'll tell them, have you been there to help them? Have you given them a hug? Have you brought them a meal? Have you just sat down and been with them? And they start to realize that it's not
0: the parents being awful parents. You know, there's bigger problems going on. I love that. So if you see, if you're a parent or a person and you see another family, think of ways that you can help versus Mm -hmm. look at it from a judgmental perspective. Exactly. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And especially because our kids are, you know, superficially engaging and charming. Right. They look like they're fine. They don't look like they have any problems
0: right it's just at home because home is the trigger and that's where everything happens but out in the world they are savvy and Mm -hmm. they yeah yeah they know exactly how to play the game yep they sure do (laughs) (laughs) so parents look really mean and strict what does parenting therapeutic or good parenting for a rad child look like and this isn't tell- a question to kind of train people but just more mm-hmm. for people to understand what what these parents are doing what we parents are doing um you know behind the scenes and and why we have to do it that way what is what is parenting a rad child look like Yeah
1: I it always in my mind comes down to safety Our kids need to feel safe physically and emotionally and mentally And when they feel you know a healthy kid can run off down the street and you're not worried about them for our kids if they run off down the street their mind isn't thinking my mom's behind me nothing's gonna happen their mind is thinking what if i'm not safe here If my mom's not watching me and she can't get me if someone's gonna hurt me i'm not safe so you know when we keep our kids really close to us we don't let them interact with a lot of people Uh, when we have those really tight boundaries and structures and routines it's all for safety so right. they need to feel physically safe that no one's going to hurt them. They can't hurt anyone else. And then emotionally safe so that, you know, it's that feeling of safety they have, the felt safety. Um, so once I kind of explained that to people, some of it makes a little more sense. And then also, you know, out in public, people don't see the nurturing that families do at home. So when we do snuggle time and, you know, positive touch activities and therapy stuff, people do that at home when no one else is around. So a lot of times people see, you know, the strict part of parenting without seeing all the
0: love that goes into it. Right. Oh yeah, exactly. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And just understanding that those strict rules, boundaries and keeping them close and kind of limiting other things, Mm -hmm. it's because you're building that attachment or trying to build that attachment and sense of sight. Yeah. So it's not because you're mean and you're, you know, a hardcore (laughs) parent, right? There's a reason behind it. And for me, the why is always so important. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I know that maybe things are on hold a little bit with the radish ranch and COVID everybody's on Mm -hmm. hold. Yes. What programs do you offer? What kind of things I was on your website and for anybody listening, that's okay. The radish (laughs) ranch.org. And uh, I'll put that on my Facebook page so people can go and and find you. Um, Okay. But I was looking at your webpage and reading about your concept. You have a bunch of different programs. Mm -hmm. What
1: are those? Yeah, so right now we're only doing online. Uh, Right now in Manitoba, we're on complete code red lockdown. So there's nothing happening here. Right. (laughs) So starting in May, the month of May, we have an online therapeutic parenting course. Um, It's nine sessions. Each one is about 90-ish minutes, depending on
0: how many questions everybody has. Are they live? They're live sessions? Yes. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We go through the module. Um, We talk about safety, nurturing, 3BI, which is our brain-based behavior intervention program for dealing with uh, defiant, destructive, and disrespectful behaviors. We talk about structures and routines and chores and playtime and self-care. Kind of all the pieces that eventually fit together to parent our kids. And then after the presentation part, we do parent participation. So we troubleshoot with the families and they can ask, all right, you talked about this. How do I do that with my family? Or if I do that, my child's going to do this. What do I do next? So it's really great personalized, you know, hands-on
0: practical information for families. Yeah. You get specific and then it it's yeah. meaningful to every family. Exactly. Situation. Wow. Because that's our great.
1: kids, you know, as much as they all have more or less the same behaviors they all tweak it to fit themselves right. so you know one intervention might work mostly but this kid will need this little addition or this kid's going to need it slightly different or how you know however your family situation is or what your schedule is like that week so it's been really great to give families answers to questions they have about their child and their family right yeah very specific to them oh that's yeah. great Yeah, so we have that one in May. And then there's one in July and August, end of July to mid-August. And then in June, we're doing a respite provider training course. That one's also live. It's six sessions. I don't remember the dates of it, but it'll be on the website. Um, And that one's just to help respite providers, you know, know what to do with a child, how to set up their home, how to help the parents, how to deal with, you know, the triangulation we get and just how
0: to create a really great healing environment for our kids. Right. So everybody's on the same page and working together. Exactly. Because yeah. without that, yeah, not good. Yeah. Do you get a lot of people applying to be respite providers? Because, again, that's another area that I think is sparse. Yeah. <laughs> it's very sparse. Right. Do you get a lot of people applying for that?
1: or I get a lot of people who are interested So we also have a video course online um, people can go through at their own pace. And people tend to sign up for that one but never finish the course. So I think a lot of times we have people who are interested, thinking like, oh, I could do this. And then they start reading about the behaviors and the structure you have to have. And that when you're a respite provider for Childless red, you don't get to have fun with them and take them out to the park and do fun stuff. You're there as a safe healing environment for them. So I think, unfortunately, that kind of weeds out a lot of people from the respite provider list.
0: Right. And, you know, isn't that a testament then again to what parents go through because people sign up and think it's great and they want to help. And then as soon as they learn what (laughs) it's really about, right, that might be a a wake up call. And just to point that out and then people back out. So imagine Mm -hmm. what these families are going through. Exactly. Just, uh, you know, try and be more sympathetic or empathetic towards them. And yeah, yeah that's too bad, but it's so needed, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, it is. What do you think the people that have, ha- has anybody finished the respite provider training? And if they have, who is that ideal person or what would you, you know, tell people to help encourage them to maybe consider it?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've found generally that people who finish the course or who join the live courses are already connected to a family that they want to work with. So okay. it'll be their best friend or their nieces and nephews that they want to help or, you know, someone they've come in contact with. So they already realize this is what the family is dealing with and we want to help. Right. They've so that's kind first of been, hand. yeah, that's okay. been our most successful participants.
0: Gotcha. So they know yeah. what it's like firsthand and they're connected to somebody they care about and want to help. Right. Them kind of on that deeper level. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When things open up, what is the, what is the hope or the vision for Radish Ranch?
1: Um, the next step, which we were going to do last year, and of course we didn't, Um, is having RV hookups and RVs put onto my property here in Mariapolis so that we can start to have families come and stay here more. So right now, when I have a family come and stay, the kids stay at the house so that the parents can get a break. But the parents have to drive about 30 minutes to get to the nearest motel where I live. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And it just means, you know, they have to rent a vehicle and they have to stay at a motel and it's extra time and expense and stress for them. Um, So we want to be able to have RVs on site where they can stay. It's private for them. They have their own space
0: and they can, you know, get more of a break and be more ready to learn during the day. Right. And are you set up for that now, ready to go? Or is that what you're going to be working on so that when things do open up, you're ready? That's what we're going to be working on. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, you've got some time. <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> right, right. And yeah. is it only you? Do you have other people that help or is the vision to grow that as well? The vision is to grow it. So right now it's just me
1: um, doing the programs. Uh, another thing with having the RVs here is that we can have another person or two people come and stay here. So whether it's respite providers that want to be trained, it's the therapists that we have come in. It's someone else, you know, wanting to work with us here at the ranch. Right now, just logistically, like, there's a lot we can't really do. Right. So, yeah, we have a board of directors. So, you know, they're there to help plan the programs and the next steps and, you know, what's going on. But as far as, you know, working directly with the families, right now, I'm the only one.
0: Right. But I love that even right now you're managing through COVID and you've got these online live trainings coming up. You've got the Mm on-demand course that you're talking about that people can come to. And you've got a lot of resources on your page as well. Yeah. Right. And do you do one-on-one coaching or is it right now the, the group sessions? Is that what you're finding you're doing more of? Um, more of that, but we
1: do, there are, um, consultations available on the website. I think there's 60-minute
0: options and 30-minute options on there. Great. So yeah. even if parents have any questions, they can contact you and Yeah, absolutely. and check things out. Has there been a family that has really amazed you or touched your heart that's gone through either the camps or working with you at your Radish Ranch?
1: Oh, there've been so many. Yeah. I think every family, you know, even if they come or I've worked with them at camp and sometimes our kids don't get healthy. You know, that's just as much a reality as kids who do get healthy is sometimes they just don't, they choose not to make the choices they need to. We
0: don't have resources available. Okay. I was going to ask that. And you know what, you mentioned a a word there choice. And Mm -hmm. for some reason I get hooked on this. So I've I've met and talked with, um, a couple of young adults who have healed from rad, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and obviously it's, I don't think it's ever a hundred percent completely, completely, but they've definitely healed. And, and they have said that it is a choice. Mm -hmm. And so that's a piece of it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
1: It is, which is hard for parents because, we know that our kids didn't choose to be abused and neglected. That wasn't their choice. And it's so hard to realize that they have to now make the choice to get healthy. They have to choose to heal and to work on their brain development and work on their attachment. So it's very hard for parents to kind of let that go and realize that it's not
0: their choice to make. Right. And what a hard choice for the kids to make after they've been through all that, and if safety exactly. is like the need for safety is at the core, yeah, yep. that's a scary thing to let go of and just it is and make that choice and jump in, mm-hmm. isn't it? yeah, yeah. But when they do, it's definitely worth it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you find it helpful at these camps, um, other kids seeing other kids similar to them with rad and watching? you know, I guess just peer models, is it the Mm -hmm. same within a rad group of kids? You know, we learn from our peers and sometimes we admire or notice something in somebody else. And that makes us want to change ourselves. Do you see that happening?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we definitely do in different ways than what you would imagine with healthy kids. Okay. (laughs) Um, how So sometimes, you know, I'll have a kid I'm working with and there's another kid screaming and kicking on the floor and calling them on the F word. And they're kind of, do I do that? Is that what I sound like? And then they're, I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what you do when you're at home. Like, oh, and that they start, you know, if their brain is at the stage where they can realize that, they're like, oh, that sounds horrible. Like, I don't want to be that kind of kid. Um, and then our kids are also very motivated to be better than everybody else. So <laughs> if they see, like, wow, that kid did his brain shifter and did his process really fast and got to go have fun. I'm going to be better than that. So they start to work faster and get their brain going. And, you know, the more times they can do that, the better habits they build and better brain pathways. Right. So yeah, the the peer group mix at camps definitely can be helpful for that.
0: Yeah, it sounds motivating. And, mm-hmm. uh, or they get motivated to make that, that change. Yeah. And it's also helped a lot of our kids. The camp we do that they have every year in
1: Florida used to, I don't know if they still do, there's a large group of rad families there that are connected to the therapist who runs the camp. And a lot of the kids, once they get healthy, they come back to volunteer at camp and they always share their stories, you know, of what they were like and what their healing journey was like. And so the kids with rad who come to camp, they see these big kids who, you know, in their minds are really cool. And then they realize they were just like me. I did those same things. So if they could be, get better and they could choose to make healthy choices, maybe I can too. Right. Yeah. You get to see success, right? Somebody else did it. Because a lot of the times our kids think I'm the only one who's this awful. It's me. It's my problem. Nothing's going to change. Yeah. So when they see the possibilities, it can
0: really give them a boost. Yeah. Yeah i know population size is different we talked a little bit about this before the interview but canada versus the us or other countries rad is everywhere oh yeah yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) definitely yeah um i'd say as far as resources we're a little behind in canada and i still haven't decided if that's just because our population is so much smaller Right. Um, I know a lot of the trauma effects we have in our indigenous population aren't counted in with the rest of Canada because our indigenous communities have their own resources so a lot of that I think is there but we don't necessarily hear about it if we're not directly connected with them sure and I know you know as far as residential treatment centers kids in Canada often go to the states because we just don't have we don't have it available or we don't have enough available.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. And other countries, um, Australia has done great work with attachment disorders and trauma work. So I use a lot of resources from there. Yeah. Gotcha. In what way? How are they excelling in that? They're very upfront about caregiver burnout, which I think is a big, big thing. Yes. And I think in our culture here in North America, it's that parents always have to be in charge and on top and super mom who can, you know, adopt kids and still run marathons and run the school bait group. And that's what people think they need to be or what they need to do. Unrealistic
0: expectations. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And in Australia, you know, all of the resources and content I get from there is caregiver burnout is very understood and providing parents with breaks and resources and self care. So I think that's a big piece that they have going on there. The understanding
0: and they're just really upfront and honest
1: Mm -hmm. right away. Yeah. Yeah. Taking care of the
0: parents so they can in turn take better care of their kids. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, Do you know if their system, you know, the adoption, foster adoptive system, are they a little more upfront in that area too? Or do you know, you might not know. I think some of the information I get, I know there's a couple newsletters,
1: they're foster care agencies down there. So I'm assuming at least a little bit, they do more than I've ever heard from anyone around here. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And what, what do you think it is? This is probably a bigger question than we can tackle ourselves (laughs) in today, but I'm just curious on opinions or thoughts about the foster adoptive system, either in the U S or Canada, Uh, we talk about how it really needs to change in order to prepare families before these kids get to Mm -hmm. your home for the kid's sake and for the family's sake. Mm -hmm. What, what do you think, or what, if you were talking to somebody in that group, what would you recommend? What, what are the suggestions you would give them that would really help these kids and families?
1: Yeah. Um, That when a child is placed, you know, especially, and unfortunately these days, the only reason kids go into foster care is severe abuse or neglect. They're not getting pulled out because their parents love them and just can't take care of them. It's something extreme has happened. Right. Um, So I think a big thing is making sure you keep the birth order in a family. Because a lot of the times I'll see a family with little kids, they get an older foster child placed and not necessarily like much older but older enough and that puts all those little ones at risk and when our child thinks these could be victims i could hurt them they don't feel safe from themselves and i know a lot of the times it's just you place a child where you can because there are no options mm-hmm. um, and then also you know upon placement making sure this child's coming into your family you're going to have respite this many times a month or this many times a year. And this is the therapist you're going to work with. So again, the same two pieces, I think, really would help, you know, foster homes
0: succeed a lot better. Right. I had a a friend when we were going through our RAD experience and just reminding me and, and noticing that too, which I thought was great for a friend, was just noticing that what we were going through and that the child came to us already, you know, I hate the word broken, but shouldn't have been in our home without certain things being addressed. Exactly. Like what you're saying. And it helped me to, you know, kind of take some of the blame from myself or that pressure. Mm-hmm. Is that if a if a large system isn't able and capable to handle it or deal with it properly, how are you as one parent supposed exactly. to actually you know, navigate this world? And so that yeah. was really helpful. And I think too you know, it's interesting because before being a rad mom, trauma and neglect and abuse was one thing to me where I, you know, mm-hmm. you felt really bad for these kids and what they've gone through, but then raising kids who have been through this extreme trauma and neglect and abuse. Wow. It's been an education and what, what yeah. that really does to a child. Exactly. That I don't think people get to see firsthand, you know? No and a
1: lot of people still have the very misguided belief that all a child needs is a loving stable family. Oh, I'm so So glad. once they're adopted and they've been rescued, right. everything should be fine. Yeah, just enough and it's that. not. They bring all of their trauma baggage with them and more insecurities and more right. fear and more trauma from, you know, losing even if it was an awful place they were at. They still lost that place. Right. So, you know, loving stable home doesn't fix it. That's right. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Not enough love can make a difference. Not that it's not a good thing. They need love, but. Oh, exactly. They need that too, but they need more. (laughs) They need a lot more. Yeah. 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 Is there anything else you'd like to share or offer to families, friends and family of families with rad or an experience to, but is there anything else that you'd like to get out there about yourself even, or, or the radish ranch?
1: Yeah, I think you've covered it mostly. Okay. I mean, I could
0: talk for days about this subject, but I know, <laughs> I know.
1: Yeah. But you know, as far as extended family, I've even had grandparents or aunts and uncles um, take our respite provider course just so that they realize you know how they can best support the family so even if they're not necessarily providing respite care they can know oh this is how I should act this is what I should do this is what helps the parents so that's also been helpful for families
0: yeah what a great way to utilize that course Mm -hmm. Um, I love that and I'm glad that you put that out there. I would tell anybody, any family member, yeah. anybody just to, it doesn't mean they have to be respite, but what a great way to learn and kind of mm-hmm. behind those closed doors and what's really exactly happening and what's needed, even if it's just for that understanding and education yeah. piece of it great yeah because a lot of the times you
1: know our parents try to explain it to family members and they're exhausted and overwhelmed right and they often explain the part that they do all the nurturing and the fun and the bonding yeah which we don't want other people giving our kids we want it solely to come from parents yeah so the respite provider course you know provides the boundaries and structure and the healing environment but you know is more standing back a step standing behind the parents and with the parents so we're not doing any
0: direct nurturing or you know fun stuff Mm -hmm. as it were with them yeah and what a great thing you you know you offer I think that would be a great course even for the families you know through the foster adoptive system you can sign up to be a respite provider or a therapeutic family and I'm sure that they go through a lot of extensive training but Mm -hmm. You know, that sounds like another win is to go through that course and take it for understanding because I don't know if people realize, but even you know, these therapeutic parents, um, therapeutic foster families, or even Mm -hmm. respite providers, again, they're getting their education from the big system, which can't do everything either. They're overloaded. Rad exists, but it's very rare. Oh, right. (laughs) It's very rare is what they say. And it's not true. Every foster child has had trauma.
1: So it's not rare. No.
0: And so, um, but for them to, to take that because, you know, I think people don't realize that those people are not even very equipped as Mm -hmm. and which makes them uncomfortable as well. But I know that we, we used respite in the city where we adopted our kids and they were there for a weekend and we thought this is going to be the greatest thing. And it was an an older couple, but our kids came home telling us that uh, they were allowed to call them grandpa and grandma And, uh, that they didn't, they thought their bedtime was too late. And who knows about that part? That could be the red manipulation. You never know, you never know, but (laughs) the grandma, grandpa thing was real. And it really surprised me because that lack of boundaries, even with a child with red (laughs) and exactly. So sometimes, so for us that respite, we didn't trust our respite care. And so then, you know, so it's just as important for, I mean, everybody needs to be on board. Right. Yeah. And I find a lot of the
1: trainings, even the foster parent training that comes out of our foster care systems is very hypothetical sometimes. Like it's uh. this might happen or <laughs> when a child does this, they need to feel safe in connection. But parents want to know what do I actually do right. when that happens? Like, what do I do yeah. when my child won't stay in time out? What do I do with them? Right. So the programs that I've developed, you know, is very much based on just practical hands-on information. This happens, do this. When yeah. you see this happening, try this behavior, this action for it.
0: Right. So
1: I think that's also kind of a piece that's missing there is people they have this great information now about what children with trauma need, but no practical steps on
0: what you actually do with it. Right. Well, and you know, if the system is struggling and failing families, it's great to meet people like you and keep spreading the word about all these people that are floating around out there and yeah, available to help families and capable of helping families. And so Mm -hmm. there is, you know, there is a place to go. So I hope people will contact you, Karen. And yeah, hopefully radish ranch and reach out. And um, yeah, you know what, one more support out there. We got to stick together and help. Got people. to build our network
1: and get it going. Yeah. Really do.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it has been fantastic talking with you. I love what you Yeah, do. this was great. I'm leaving with so much information just personally for myself. And so I think good. it's, yeah. yeah. Thank you so, so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for doing what you do and stepping into it and not even being a rad parent. (laughs)
1: Exactly. I don't have any
0: kids of my own, just other people's kids. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, thanks again.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this and inviting me to be on the podcast.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. And I hope you'll be back to listen to future episodes. If you like the show, please subscribe and help me spread the word by clicking share and like. If you're a parent who needs more support, whether it's for you or your family, please check out my website at radtalkwithtracy.com and visit radadvocates.org.